Thank you to everyone who supports the show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. Hey, listen, if you are not already, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers during the month of November and December of 2020. Anyone who signs up at the $1 or $2 level will have access to all the stuff we put up on the Patreon page uh, that goes to the $5 and higher level. So character sheets, bonus episodes like the Major Spoilers Podcast, pre-show, a bunch of other stuff. You can find that and get access to it for only a couple of bucks. Save yourself some money. Take a taste and see what we have. It's all over there at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In... This issue, return to us to the golden age of Hollywood with intrigue, murder, and maybe romance. It's The Fade Out, Volume 2. Plus, more movies, a plethora of pinball, the terror, what flaps in the night, and more of the major spoilers magic you crave. There is no business like show business unless you count a sack full of angry cats. But the show must go on, and the Major Spoilers podcast is the show. So you do the math, and it's on the air. Welcome to issue 901 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Everyone is here. Matthew is here. What up? Rodrigo is here. I am. Ashley is here. And you, dear listener, are here. And hey, a big shout out to Jason and Ashley, who had a wonderful charity drive over this past weekend. If you missed it, oh, you missed out on tons of fun. They did reach their goal. We talk a lot about it in the Major Spoilers uh, pre-show, which you can find over at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. But Ashley, you didn't just meet your goal. You guys blew past it. We did. So lucky. Very fortunate. Yeah. Um, So you'll want to go and check that out. The videos are still up on YouTube. If anybody wants to uh, watch it, uh, I would pay special attention to the Kevin Smith bit where I may have just offered Kevin a uh, uh, something to add into a future movie that he is working on. So. (laughs) <laughs> he said he liked and it and he it, was going to add it apropos of nothing and certainly not the most important part of the whole thing but you were cute as heck i really love that dress thank you i'm so glad that i put on a dress and then wore sweatpants underneath it because it was a video uh, <laughs> and shout me. out to my good girlfriend jordan for coming over and doing my makeup on the balcony with masks on because i said go. jesus christ Please help me with my face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that I'm out of the way. I'm very bad at makeup, so I will pay people for their skills. <laughs> Let us do some news. I have a proposition for you. Uh, let's get dangerous. I like it. it. Yeah, it sounds like Darkwing Duck is about to get a reboot at Disney+. Plus. According to Variety, no writer is currently attached, but with the success of DuckTales and the push to more streaming content, it seems likely we will see the adventures of Drake Mallard, a.k.a. Darkwing Duck, and his adopted daughter Goslin uh, showing up sooner rather than later. And I believe they've already had multiple uh, Darkwing Duck appearances on the Duck- yeah. DuckTales show. Yeah, so that would uh, add in to the, the fact that we probably are going to get this series. I was just going to say that I'm really excited for this because I think DuckTales is really great. I'm sorry. It's okay. DuckTales is really great. And you know, Darkwing Duck is one of those properties that has a lot more life in it than you might expect. I don't think it was actually on for very long. But if you actually, you know, if you read the Darkwing Duck comic books, there's a ton of things that they did there that would have never gotten on the air in 1996 that now they could do on a Disney plus and have it be utterly amazing. Yep. Yeah, I hope we see a bowling ball, Darkwing duck. Yeah. And caveman, Darkwing and mm-hmm. pirate, Darkwing. That'd be yep. great. <laughs> mortal Kombat. The mortal Kombat movie is delayed. Uh, initially planned for release in January of next year, the pandemic, which come on people, it's not over. Wear a mask, avoid other people, avoid gatherings, do the whole thing. Come on, be smart, would you? Please, come on, we can do this. We can all do this. Anyway, uh, Todd Garner, the producer of the film, took to Twitter to say, yep, uh, we're shooting a few more days. We'd always planned for it. We thought we'd do it in March. The pandemic had other plans. We will not have a release date for the movie until the theaters are reopening. Same is true for the trailer for the Mortal Kombat movie. So, you know, it's a bummer, but 
even Shao Kahn wears a mask, right? Sub-Zero, got that whole thing going on. In the meantime, you can actually look forward to Rambo joining the most recent Mortal Kombat video game release, I'm told. Yeah, um, Rambo drops, I think maybe even today. Um, but uh, so additions, non-Mortal Kombat additions to Mortal Kombat 11. Rambo, RoboCop, mm-hmm. The Terminator, right? I think the best comment I saw about it is um, Mortal Kombat 11 is like Smash Brothers if your dad got to pick the roster. (laughs) (laughs) Dear listeners, if you've watched me play Zen Pinball in the Major Spoilers Twitch stream, you know two things. Number one, I really want to get a virtual pinball machine and then build a full-size system. And number two, I really need a virtual pinball machine to practice on because I'm really not that good. Which is why I've been waiting for the arcade one-up to finally release the Marvel Pinball Machine. And today, the word dropped, December 15th, is when those will begin shipping. If you're not familiar with arcade one-up machines, they are arcade and pinball machines that are three-fourths the size of a, of the uh, the real full-size uh, systems. Uh, for arcade enthusiasts, the arcade one-up machines have been a great way to get into the hobby and fill up your nerd room of doom at a relatively low price. Uh, many, including your humble uh, narrator, have modified their machines to play even more games than the chip on the systems. The arcade uh, 1UP Marvel Pinball Machine has a suggested retail price of $549. Some of you may be saying that's a little bit too expensive. Stern Pinball today announced the uh, new full-sized Star Wars Pinball Machine, the classic Star Wars Pinball Machine, but using new Marvel art throughout the entire machine. And this one is specifically designed for home users. That one starts at $4,999, just for comparison. Chump change. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, something else that's sure to make a lot of money is the upcoming Disney movie Soul, which I'm so glad to talk about because I've been tracking its uh, tragic trajectory in the pandemic over on Did You Hear every time we get an update. And we finally have a release date. And just because, you know, there is a worldwide pandemic going on, it doesn't mean that Disney is going to stop from releasing movies as we've seen with such things as Mulan. The latest movie to head to Disney Plus streaming service, which they have now announced has 74 million subscribers and counting, is Disney Pixar's Soul. And it is scheduled to arrive on December 25th, 2020. Hmm, kind of an important day, may no. And in Soul, if you're not familiar, Jamie Foxx, you remember him? He was Electro. He plays Joe, a musician who lands the gig of his life at the best jazz club in town. But when Mun Misstep lands Joe in The Great Before, he teams up with Soul 22, voiced by the incomparable Tina Fey, to find the answers to some of life's biggest questions. So if you liked La La Land, but you want mm, some actual people of color talking about soul and jazz music, this is probably going to be the piece for you. I'm dying to see soul and disney listened to me and gave me the christmas gift that i've been waiting for so many people this was something i didn't realize until i had gone off to college that a lot of people uh go to the movies and spend all day at the movies on on christmas day and uh, new Mm -hmm. year's eve and new year's day and so for them to release this on december 25th perfect because so many people would be going to the theater at that time period so this this just works out really really well Listeners, you can join in the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord server. All you have to do is uh, point your browser, and we've got a link in the show note. You can join the Discord server for free or link your Patreon account to Discord, and you can get access to even more features at patreon.com slash major spoilers for more information on that. News out of the way. Let us get to some reviews. Let us start with uh, Aquaman number 65. It is out today as of this recording Tuesday because DC is always first with everything, Matthew. That's right. They release their comics first. They get people married first. Wait, no, they didn't do that. But they're going to do it. You may remember that 47 years ago, Aquaman married Mira. Uh, but then there was a universal reboot and then another universal revert, and it turns out they're not married. Aquaman 65 is the issue, which is what going to take care of that particular issue. Uh, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Art by, oh man, I wish I could remember the name. Hang on, I'm going to go in front of it. Anyway, that's a really good artist. Uh, it's not uh, Coco. Thank you. Miguel Mendonca, I believe is how that's pronounced. And it starts out uh, with Ocean Master, Aquaman's half-brother, stabbing him in the chest, you know, like you do. And trying to kill Aquaman. And asking him, what exactly do you have? I have my power. I have your trident. I have control of Atlantis. What do you have? And Aquaman says, I have them. 
at which point all of his friends and associates, Aqualad and several gods and the entire Justice League of America, show up. And his friends are there to help him. But unfortunately, Orm wants to fight to the death. And so the Star Trek theme song goes off. And I have to say, you know, just as an aside, I don't necessarily often look at a page of a comic book and go, wow. But this book has a couple. First of all, uh, the new look for Aquaman does include something very similar to Jason Momoa's tattoos, which I think is amazing. And there is a shot of Aquaman leaping forward and just punching the D word out of his brother, smashing his mask, kicking in his teeth. It is truly, truly impressive. And then, of course, the combat goes on. Bad things happen. And after the story kind of wraps up, I'm not going to tell you everything that happens because there's a couple of really great moments in here, including Aquaman, um, or excuse me, Aqualad, who is the Aqualad, I believe, from Young Justice again, which is kind of neat. Uh, we have a moment where it seems like something terrible is happening and Aquaman has to rush off to take care of an emergency and Mira goes with him and finds all of her friends wearing gowns and Aquaman ready to propose. And it's a really, really lovely moment. It's a nice way to end this arc of the book. I don't know if they're relaunching with a new number one. I don't know if it is. I know that this is Kelly Sue DeConnick's final issue. So that's what they may be yeah. talking about with with this. Yeah, and I know that going into the uh, Future State stuff, I had not heard whether the books that were going to come back after Future State, whether they were going to relaunch again, like we got in Rebirth or anything like that. But nonetheless, a really, really nice ending. And I feel like a, a story whose time has come because there is nothing more frustrating to me than uh, the... 2000s theory of uh, Marvel and DC editorial that a superhero who is married can't be interesting or in any way good. Mm. I really, really hate that. And I like returning Aquaman and Mira's marriage to canon. I like having that back, even though, you know, they've busted up Hawkman and Hawkgirl and they killed Elongated Man and they did a whole bunch of things that you know, Spider-Man sold his marriage to the devil. And I didn't even know you could do that I, if that was a thing, you know. I mean, what do you get out of that? You know, somebody make me an offer. Let's see what we can come up with. But stop glaring at me, young lady. I see you over there. Anyway, here's the deal. Four slices of meatloaf for Aquaman number 65. A nice closing issue. A nice kind of cap on Kelly Sue and uh, the uh, creative team's run. But more importantly, it's just a nice, exciting issue of comics, and it's got some romance. It's got some nice stuff going on to it. And the moment that I really, really love when the villain is like, ha, 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 you are beaten, and the hero was like, oh, am I? Yeah, four slices of meatloaf. Buy yourself this comic. It's a good one. All right, out on Wednesday from Dark Horse Comics, it's Assassin's Creed Valhalla Song of Glory number two. Uh, this past weekend, I went ahead and got Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It was something that I was very excited about getting because I've been enjoying um, uh, Odyssey so much. I'm still not done with that one. So I was hesitant to jump on to the Valhalla game, uh, but I did anyway. It's pretty fun. Uh, I've only got a couple of hours into it. Uh, barely passed, you know, I don't know, probably less than 1% into the, the overall uh, section of the game. But it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, there is a tie-in comic book from Dark Horse Comics. It is The Song of Glory. Uh, this is a three-issue miniseries that takes place before the events of the video game. I have a feeling if you have played the video game, even as little as I have played the game, you can walk into Assassin's Creed and kind of know what's going on uh, with issue number two. If you haven't read issue number one, again, if you played the video game for a little bit, you'll kind of get a, a feeling for where the story is heading here. Uh, this is a very good tie-in. Uh, very often, we see poor tie-ins or tie-ins that don't make a lot of sense. This one, I have a feeling by the time we get to issue three of this series, it will take it will end the minute before the game begins with our hero um, Evor, Evor uh, held prisoner and about to be sold off to slavers. Uh, so that I think is very in interesting. This is a story of a, uh, a Viking who is trying to figure out her place in the world. Um, and she also has kind of a, she's, her family was killed when the tribe was uh, taken over by, um, or taken down or killed by um, this warmongering Viking tribe. 
And so the king of the Vikings has adopted her and uh, she's got an adopted brother, you know, the king's son. He is also out on adventures and he has in issue two met with, um, I guess, the Knights Templar or whoever the group is that are the murder assassins of this whole Assassin's Creed series. Uh, I, I found it very fascinating. Um, like I said, I think if you played even an hour or two of the video game and you picked up issue number two, you'd have no problem understanding what was going on. Here's the thing that I found super interesting. I don't know if it is in all of the Assassin's Creed games, but certainly in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you have the choice of picking a female or a male character to play. And you also get to do the same thing in um, Valhalla. If you look at all the main artwork for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it is the male character that adorns all of the artwork. I prefer playing as the female characters. I think they're certainly much more interesting, especially when they're having dialogue with so many different Heck people. Yeah. I don't know if the dialogue is different if you play male or female in there, but I have a feeling it's basically all the same. What's fascinating is this book, the, um, the, the main character is the female version of the character instead of the male version of the character. Uh, which I found very, very fascinating uh, to read. So I really enjoyed issue number two. I think I'm going to go back and track down issue number one. I'll certainly read issue number three to see if my theory plays out. But if you are a fan of the Assassin's Creed Valhalla game, you want to learn a little bit more about the life between the cutscenes, uh, between when she was a kid and when she's an adult, I think this is a pretty good tie-in. I think Dark Horse is doing really good at doing video game tie-in stuff. And so I'm guessing, giving Assassin's Creed Valhalla Song of Glory number two four slices of meatloaf, or maybe four cups of mead out of five. Go pick it up. It's out this week from Dark Horse. Also out this week, IDW Publishing has some Star Wars adventures, Ashley. Heck yeah. Uh, Star Wars adventures are low-key my very favorite Star Wars comics that have ever been up to this point and the recording of this podcast in the history of publishing at Star Wars. I know there are a ton of great Star Wars comics, I've loved a bunch of the Marvel stuff, the Dark Horse stuff. You can tell me it's not canon. You're wrong. Uh, but Star Wars Adventures, I, everyone knows if you've listened, I'm a sucker for YA. And Kevin Scott as the head of this. Well, he's maybe not the head of this movement, but uh, Kevin Scott's written, I think, the lion's share of these stories. Michael Ritchie's also done a bunch. Just really give me that Rebels, Coom, uh, Clone Wars vibe that I love the most about this universe. Mm -hmm. And so every year since Star Wars Adventures first debuted, they've done a special. It's not a holiday special and it's not an annual, but it's sort of something that lies in between there. And this year's Star Wars Adventures special actually focuses around who I always think of as being Matthew's favorite Star Wars character, Jackson, who, yeah. uh, because I am who I am, I call Jason in my brain. That's not his <laughs> name. Uh, A.K.A. the green space rabbit from the OG, OG, the Star Wars, Luke Skykiller, all of Starkiller, all of that goodness. Jackson, for all of the great things about him, has never really been my favorite addition to the Star Wars story uh, in the Star Wars like EU larger canon until this special. For me, this really kind of I don't I don't want to say it makes sense of the character because in space opera pretty much anything is good right like you don't really have mm -hmm. to justify why anything exists but this really um dialed me into why he is cool because Jackson sometimes is just there to be weird and get in the way which is a role that I'm used to Chewbacca playing and I think Chewbacca is a much more subtle version of that same storytelling device but here we basically get like a cutesy why a uh, whodunit story with the green rabbit at the center of it and i totally loved it there's two artists working on the book nick brokenshire and francesco gaston and they render him a little more humanoid um and a little less lapin and i think that that really works for it i just really loved this little adventure the side story it takes place before uh empire and the problem sometimes with tying comics right is they do have to take place around the corner from the main thrusts of the adventures, but that can make them feel meaningless. And this feels like it is still meaty and it still has something to add to the mythos and the story in this time period that we are so familiar with because we just keep setting stories in this particular mm -hmm. time period. And even though it is like 
you know, it's it's the bunny, so there are jokes. Even though it is light in its tone and a lot of fun, I really think the story is very, very cool. And I think if people are fans of this particular comic series or of Star Wars in general, and you're enjoying Mandalorian, you're psyched for Ahsoka to show up, but you're missing those really heart-touching, heart-melting animated series, I think this will get you right in the feels like it got me. And if it cracks open the mystery of why one of the most iconic Star Wars comic characters matters for you like it did for me, then I think it's extra special. So I'm going to give it four to five slices of meatloaf. This is the coolest Star Wars comic I've read in a minute. I really enjoyed it. So a lot of people are probably scratching their heads saying Star Wars over at IDW Publishing. I thought this was all Marvel stuff now. Well, it is for most of the stuff, but... Marvel has realized they don't know how to attract uh, young young readers. And so they've licensed <laughs> out their properties to whoever wants to to write their stuff. And right now, IDW Publishing has the Star Wars Adventures, which are uh, young kid friendly stuff. The YA stuff, as Ashley said. They also have Avengers. Uh, I want to say Captain Marvel. They have a Captain lot Marvel. of really good Captain stuff Marvel. There. They have a Spider-Man. I want to say they have a, or had a Black Panther. Yeah. So they have a lot of YA stuff. So if you're looking for comics for younger kids and you don't know if like the main Marvel or the main DC stuff is a big deal, I would look at these licensed comics that IDW Publishing is doing because they're really good. And, you know, with a lot of idle speculation and rumors running wild about another publisher that is not Marvel. <laughs> about where they may be going in the future. I really think that 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 publisher better be lining up their superhero titles like Robin, like Batgirl. I'm not mentioning publishers uh, like the Teen <laughs> Titans, like Young Justice and looking to license these things out because continuity doesn't matter anymore. I think IDW, especially with with Kevin Scott, this is a double hitter. He did the uh, he did the Assassin's Creed story as well. Uh, I think if IDW grabbed onto those properties, they could do something very, very interesting with those properties that I that I mentioned and could probably make them huge sellers. So I would be watching I, I IDW's say, license stuff. I don't think Kevin gets enough credit because he writes a lot of licensed stuff and it's mm-hmm. all really good and licensed stuff that is not it was not originally conceived to be a comic book. That can be a really tall order and doing that well is it's kind of like alchemy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew yeah, and, and I enjoy doing the, uh, the star Wars, uh, Vader's castle stuff that comes out during Halloween. That's well, always four fun. fifths of it. Yeah. 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 All right, Ashley, thank you for that. Uh, let us uh, jump back into video games and dark horse and licensed properties with a uh, title coming out next week. The Witcher fading memories, Rodrigo. The Witcher fading the Witcher. memories. Now that I've watched the season of the Witcher on Netflix, I'm basically a subject matter expert on the Witcher. And, <laughs> Uh, po- Polish modern Polish literature as well. Um, no, don't ask me anything. So <laughs> this uh, this uh, comic uh, sees uh, Gerald, your main protagonist of The Witcher, Blonde Superman, um, The Witcher, yes, um, Super Witcher Man. Uh, wandering around, trying to get a job, uh, killing a monster so that he can eat. Um, eventually, he does find one, and he kills some monsters. But here's the thing about this comic. Um, it's not any of the monster stuff that actually matters, right? There is, There are multiple scenes with spooky monsters in them, um, but this is this feels like it's it's a done in one story i think i don't think that they're going to keep uh going with it they could there's some room for it um but um sort of the important thing are the things that people say to each other and how they say them and um as you read uh, there are these text boxes that don't really narrate the action, but sort of echo it. Um, and at the end, it it becomes very relevant, very important who that narrator is. At first, it kind of looks like it's Gerald, but then it kind of becomes somebody who has a relationship with him. Um, by the end of this issue, you know who it is, and it's impactful to find out who it is and what happened to them or, or what they did. Um, 
So I act, I liked it a lot. I was not expecting to say get into a comic that is a licensed property um, for a video game uh, that I haven't played. I haven't played any of The Witcher, um, and and I know that The Witcher is also something else. But almost anything that you see licensed from The Witcher, they're licensing it from The Witcher video game series. Yeah, literally, this comic has a CD Projekt Red. Um, like icon or or whatever on the cover yeah they're partnering um, with them yeah yeah because they're the ones that made the witcher famous mm-hmm. um so in in the u.s um so i was not expecting to get into it a lot of the time what you get from these video game crossovers are sort of these side stories that um are action heavy but not relevant to the plot um because they're tie-ins, right? They're not the main action of the series. This is that, but um, kind of presented in such a way that the fact that it is that, that it's kind of an inconsequential thing as to the greater fate of the kingdom that the Witcher is in, is, like, that's not relevant. What's relevant is, like, the proximity, sort of, like, how close you are to the people involved. Uh, I'm going to give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. The art is really good. Um, you always know who the Witcher is because he's got a beard. Uh, that is one thing that's confusing. He doesn't have a beard on the cover, but he does in the book. So I thought for a while that we were following another Witcher because I think there are other Witchers. Um, pretty sure there are. Again, subject matter expert. Um, but um, she's not nope. Yeah, it turns out, turns out it was uh, Gerald the whole time. They just shaved them in the cover, I think, to make him look more like um, <laughs> Superman. Henry, Henry Campbell? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Superman. Yeah. So, Sherlock Superman. There, yes, yes. That was actually a fun movie. I there, haven't seen it, but I want to. Sherlock there Superman, are a like number movie. of comic books that come out each week. Marvel currently releases probably more comics than anyone. Um mm-hmm. I would say probably right now DC and Boom are probably tied in the, in the number of comics that they're releasing weekly. There are hundreds of comics that are released every week from big publishers and small publishers alike. We are only able to re- review one each, so you get four on this episode. If you want more reviews, you certainly want to head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out the reviews that are going up every day there. We've got some very talented writers over there who are sharing their thoughts on comic books. And in a world where a lot of comic book sites are not writing reviews, if you're trying to get insight onto what comic books you should be picking up because, you know, we're here to support the comic book industry, something that we all love, uh, then you might want to check those reviews out over at Majorspoilers.com. An observation about the four comics that we reviewed this week, Uh three of them licensed properties, Star Wars, uh, Assassin's Creed, and The Witcher, two of those video game properties. So there's also a, if you're a Warhammer 40k fan, Marvel has a a tie on that. Um, Dark Horse really has, I'm I'm surprised we have not gotten a, um, what's the cowboy one that uh, Project Red does? Uh, The uh, Red Red Dead Dead, Redemption? Yeah, Red Dead Redemption. I'm surprised we haven't gotten a comic book series about that yet, Uh, but there's so many stuff uh, going on. But I just that's find a that rockstar interesting. Thing. I don't yeah, that's a rockstar rock joint, oh, yeah. I think. Okay. Um, so I just find it fascinating that we have the breakdown that we have this week in in comics. So thank you, Matthew, Rodrigo, and Ashley for your insight on that. And remember, Rodrigo dos canale Mawi Popolsku. Uh, in the meantime, dear listeners, the weather is getting a little bit frightful. Some of you have already gotten a lot of snow. Some of you will be standing on a back porch eating your dinner in the rain. And uh, <laughs> others of you will probably be <laughs> basking away in the heat once December 25th rolls around. If, this, if you fit into one of these categories and you're going to be outside, you're probably going to need something to combat the weather. And so I would point you to isotoner.com or totes.com. You can buy the boots, the gloves, the hats, the, the umbrellas, the bags, whatever that you need. And what you can do is when you check out, you can use the code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R, at either isotoner.com or totes.com. When you check out, you get 25% off your purchase. That's like one-fourth. That's a big savings. 
And right now, with the holidays coming up, I would probably order soon if you're hoping to get stuff by the time the holidays arrive. Yep. But uh, that's a pretty good deal. Isotoner.com and totes.com, 25% off by using the checkout code MAJOR. Tell them Major Spoiler sent you, and then let us know when you've uh, used that. You can just uh, tweet us at Major Spoilers. We'd certainly like to see you have a good time and keep your feet and your hands warm this holiday season. We are back now into the fade out. We did uh, act one a while ago. This is the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips story. I really like these two as a, as a uh, writer artist combo. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Mm. You Rodrigo, do you like this team up? I do. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I like the story and uh, it's, it, it can be surprisingly tough to do kind of noir type mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. But we've, um, you know, we've done the, we've done a bunch of the criminal stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a, like a Cthulhu thing that they did just before the fade out came out uh, that we haven't gotten to yet, but they're kind of into the, the hard crime stuff. And, and just the fact that they've been working together so long, their combo of, of writing and art, I think is a, is a really good pair. Yeah. What about what about you, Matthew? Do you like this this team up? I do. I like Phillips' art um, on really anything, but I feel like this is one of those situations where the creative team is a symbiosis to where you can't say, "Oh, well, the art did this and the script did that," or you can't necessarily break it up. Not that you really can in any situation, you know, figure out who did what. But this feels like a true collaboration to where you don't think of it as the work of multiple creators. It's just this really cool story that's un- unfolding in front of you and everything just sort of comes together. Mm-hmm. Ashley, I know you're kind of a fan of, of true crime. What, how do you feel about, the, about hard crime stories like the noir tale that we're getting here and especially these, really, these two combo? I really dig noir. I dig it a little more when it's framed around spies mm. uh, than like a traditional murder. Like, um, Something probably a little closer to like a Maltese Falcon or a, a Jean Le Carré kind of stories. More my jam. On um, the last time we did the fade out, I said this. I have a really hard time enjoying stories set in Hollywood about the Hollywood system, um, because often as this story is doing, they turn around the ugliness of it. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that we should brush it under the rug or that doesn't make good fodder for storytelling. It's just my personal preference. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that these two creatives and there's a reason that they have an exclusive at image and they're like some of the only people in the world who have that like they are at the top of their game i do get the blondes in this book confused and i keep forgetting which yes. one's the one who died yeah however i mean but that's a, important this though, is right? a great this is a great volume yeah so um you know our our writer friend is totally in love with the new starlet val is the one that got murdered it's interesting that when we talk noir there was a switch uh i want to say it was in the in the 50s where we went from the femme fatale was uh, dark haired. So if you go back and you read uh, some of the Maltese Falcon stuff, and you read some of the Dashiell Hammett stuff. Usually the femme fatale has dark hair because that was supposed to be the, you know, she's always got something going on, but it Dashiell, was in the 50s. Who, by the way, appears in this volume. I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but then in the fifties there was this switch. And I think it was because of the way the uh, blonde became more popular in the movies um, that the blonde became the femme fatale in, in Hollywood pictures. And so it's interesting to see that happen here where our lead is going to be uh, bleach bottle, bottle blonde and uh, the one that's into the trouble and the fact that they do look so much alike. In fact, that's how the, our main actress got uh, the main girl here in this story got her job is because she looked enough like the dead actress that they could just dump her in uh, to replace Val who was killed. And of course, the writer trying to figure out who who done it and trying to put things together and you know, seemingly trying to grasp at straws and maybe starting to in this book, especially in act two, act one, you always set up the murder in act two. That's when some of the parts start to come together. So we learn about this producer that he's been tracking down. There are, because I've read the whole series, there are numerous clues that are dropped throughout this volume that make the final explanation really interesting. And even though Ashley, I, I understand where you're coming from about, let's not look at the dark side of the industry, especially industry that you you're working in. 
that's that's my only issue, right? And again, I'm not saying that we can't, and I'm not saying that it's not valid, but I'm like, okay, well, look, Harvey Weinstein like exists right now. Yes, so. yes. And so that is, <laughs> you know, so this book came out before the Weinstein, before the Me Too movement came out. But absolutely. But what is fascinating is one cannot deny that the things that are happening in this book happened. There are studio fixers uh, back in the day. This is still before um, I'm the. I'm sure there are now. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure there are too. This was before the Paramount decree that uh, took down vertical integration. So we're seeing in this book, we're seeing um, actors who are owned by the studios getting, getting leased out. We're seeing you know how stars are treated uh, back and forth. We also get to see a little bit in this issue, but more in the third volume, uh, act three, we get to see the perverse side of people with power. Um, and they even pointed out specifically, um, with the old man who, who owns the studio, who now lives up in the, uh, up in the ranch that, you know, people with power think that rules and laws don't apply to them. And so the, you know, the, the, the idea of absolute power corrupts starts to get in here, Rodrigo. And we see a lot of that perverse side, uh, starting to pop out. Yeah, and um, we even sort of uh, either in conversation or through flashbacks sort of go back and revisit some of the uh, stuff that we saw in the first volume, and it's even worse, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a discussion of how um, one of the characters likes to groom herself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and we find out that it's a deterrent. Mm -hmm. yep. Like yeah. somebody actually tells her, hey, you need to shave down there because this guy is going to come at you and he doesn't like that. And that, you know, it was it popped up in the first volume. It popped up here with a little bit more explanation. In Act 3, we really find out what, 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 what all that means and why it's that way. Mm -hmm. We do get another kind of view that kind of ties in again to Act 3, a little bit of spoiler. Because um, our hero meets up with his his uh, black jazz uh, or not jazz uh, trumpet player friend. And he and the dead actress uh, used to be uh, together in Little Rascals type stuff when they were younger. And they talk about how they used to work up at that ranch where the old uh, studio head works and how some really bad things went down. So if you're not starting to put things together, Act 3 is going to be a very big shocker for you, Matthew. Yeah, I, I think the most difficult part of this particular series for me is looking at the people and going, okay, this is the actual Dashiell Hammett. Yes. But Earl is clearly Errol Flynn, and Franz is clearly Otto Preminger. Yes. And Al Camp just, I, just has these total Eddie Mannix vibes to me. And I'm just like, I spend the whole thing tearing it apart and going, hey, who are we referencing here? Because sometimes we have the moments where it's like, yeah, this hot young star, Tyler Graves, who's totally not James Dean. And I'm just like, mm, well, man, and well, I don't, of course, yeah, like ahead. a flapjack, right? Can only yeah. really be one of two people. Yeah, but you know, they get Desi Arnaz to show up in this. Yeah, right. Desi Arnaz, as Desi Arnaz is in this, yeah. Desi Arnaz yeah, is but in then this we have like Tyler, Tyler, the young movie star, who they straight up just draw as James Dean is called mm -hmm. Tyler and it's mm -hmm. not James Dean. And then he doesn't die. <laughs> and I wonder, yep. part of that I wonder is not necessarily likeness rights, but you know, if I, if I write a book, Ashley, you may have run into this a couple of times. Uh, but when you write something and you want to include like Coca-Cola uh, in your mm -hmm. product, you do have to run it by Coca-Cola to say, Hey, our story uses the word Coca-Cola. Is that okay? And then the, uh, the place will say, yeah, yay or like nay. technically, and it depends, right? Like it's like a big asterisk, right? It mm -hmm. depends, but uh, particularly with like old Hollywood, like life rights and likeness rights are mm -hmm. a whole can of beans. Yeah. And so I have a feeling that a yeah. lot of that has popped up in here, especially with James Dean, yeah. because so many of those James Dean rights are really locked down by whatever True. company that owns that to sell all the posters and, and stuff. Same way with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, but, you know, we get a Humphrey Bogart bit in here. We do get, you know, yes. a bunch of these other people. So it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of that has to run into some some rights issues with um, getting permissions to to use that in this story. And I I, I would be very and they interested. Might have not even they may have not even tried. They may have just been like, well, you know what we can do? We can call him not James Dean and tell the same story and achieve mm -hmm. the same thing. Right. Because oh, yeah. if we draw him like James Dean, everybody gets it. Yeah, everybody. Gets, and that's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, but you didn't like that though, Matt, you don't, you don't like the, the mixing of that. 
I don't hate it. I just feel like there are times where it distracted me from the story where it's like, yep, Errol Flynn, bye. But that's also, you know, kind of the way my brain works in these stories. When you have a story like this that is quasi-historical or, you know, pseudo-fictional or whatever one wants to call it, you do have the moments where you have to ask yourself, you know, about the celebrity paradox, you know, when somebody in a movie with James Dean is start with, say, you know, you have a movie with Nicolas Cage and somebody references the existence of a Nicolas Cage movie. That's not necessarily bad. I mean, it actually kind of adds to the reality of the story to say he was with Desi Arnaz's band. Mm-hmm. It adds to the, you know, the realism of it. And even, you know, the real names that we see, even Dashiell Hammett, who appears in here briefly, isn't a major player. If they had tried to do this story with Gil or Charlie, you know, our main characters, having been a Dashiell Hammett or having been a Dalton Trumbo, I feel like it would be something entirely different. I feel like that would be an issue. But again, when that's the biggest complaint that I have about a crime story, which is totally not my jam, about a story that's kind of steeped in a, a sexism and a misogyny and a, a real lionization of a time period when Hollywood was just, you know, the bad parts of Hollywood that we've all heard about. You know, I, I read Hollywood Babylon when I was 10. Yeah. My parents should probably, you know, really look into the stuff that I read when I was 10, but it's too late now. Too late late now. Well, see, it's interesting because the Dash Lambert book, which everybody keeps bringing up, because I think he does actually play a, a relatively large part in this arc because Gil, who has been kicked out of the Writers Guild, has been banned from Hollywood, been blacklisted because he's been blacklisted. Yeah. Yeah. Because of his uh, former communist ties. Um, and of course, he's working with Charlie to get some money and, and kind of make things work. You know, he has he's he's also trying to figure out what's going on, who killed Val. And he figures it's the head of the studio and he figures that it's it's time for him to make some money on this deal. And he starts blackmailing the head of the studio, not the old, old man, but the one that was uh, turned off by. Uh, the grooming habits of the of the current actress. And um, I hate Gil so much. He is such an F up in this in this book. And I think that, you know, that's the role that he's supposed to play. Uh, but he does go to Dashiell Hammett because Dashiell Hammett in real life did uh, work to raise money for people who were blacklisted. And so uh, as Gil is trying to figure out the the clues and what this all means, he goes to, to, to Hammett, who was a, um, you know, both a Pinkerton and a. Uh, and a detective writer, um, one of the first main detective writers of modern noir uh, detective to ask his advice to, you know, kind of play it as a story that he's writing, but also to kind of say, hey, does this make sense to you? And what would my character do in this in this situation? So I think he really plays a a big role in getting Gil into hot water. And I don't know what you guys think about Gil, but I think he's the biggest he's the biggest problem for Charlie and everyone else in the in this entire book. Including himself. Yes. Like, he does yeah. himself mostly no favors himself. either. Yes, mostly and there's himself. And there's a line at one point in the narration where it says, like, they're both alcoholics and they would call themselves that. And I'm like, that kind of sums up, like, everything that is wrong with Gil and Charlie. Because, n- and that's kind of the story that's being told here, right? Nobody's good. Right. Yeah. Even the good guys. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, we even see that if we look at uh, Sunset Boulevard, the movie. We see yeah. that oh, with yes. our character. And we see a lot of similarities in our lead character and Charlie and Gil in this. Uh, but I think that the thing that you kind of touched on is these two, um, what, what's the thing when you, when you, uh, support someone else's habit. Enabling. Uh, Enabling. Enable- they're, they're co-enablers of each other. And yes, it's they're really codependent in like a big, yeah. big way, not mm-hmm. only, uh, from a financial point of view. Yeah. And so that really makes a lot of problems in this story, but I think you need that kind of conflict though. I think for this type of story, you do, but sometimes it makes them hard to root for. Like every time they go to a bar, get drunk and pick a fight, I'm like, well, you kind of deserved it. Well, so I wonder when you try to get, you know, this, this is, this is noir. This is, this is, you know, not Mm -hmm. true crime, but this is, this is a crime comic. And I think one of the things that was happening in the fifties and the sixties, and especially in the seventies is we start to make this move from this distinction of over here are the true bad guys and over here are the true good guys. And we're trying to paint that there's a whole shade of gray that's going on. So when you read things like L.A. Confidential or The Black Dahlia or, you know, even The Fade Out, we see that there is nobody who is who is above everyone else. Everyone has dirt on their noses. Thoughts on that, Matthew? Matthew, And they're even better if I, you know, remember to unmute. 
Um, <laughs> nobody's pure in this story. Nobody's hands are clean. And to some degree, I like that for, you know, the quote unquote realism aspect of it. I like the way it all plays together. Even, you know, you look at Brodsky, the uh, enforcer jerk. He is not an evil person. He's just a man who has found a place in a system where he has a job mm-hmm. that he's good at. Mm-hmm. Now, that job involves beating people up to try and, you know, keep them in line with what the studio wants and is probably evil. But he's not the villain of this piece. He's kind of part of a machine. And I like that. I like the the expectation that no one is, you know, purely a white hat or purely a black hat. And even our main characters are jerks. And I, I, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for, you know, the, the tone and the, just that gray shades of gray morality that you get in this. That's really kind of fascinating. That'll drag you into the story. Yeah. And again, I'm not a crime comic kind of guy, but this one pulls me in. Maybe it's the, you know, the, production aspect of it because i am a production kind of guy i read that thing that howard chaykin did at image what was that um oh the comic book one yeah the one that was behind the scenes at the tv show oh yeah yeah project uh, um something x i want to say yeah it was was basically yeah but it was all about you know early Uh tv TV show yeah 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 Yeah, and it was was like rocket rudy or something yeah 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 but I really enjoyed that, and I find myself really enjoying this. And I think the thing that I enjoy most about this, and this is going to come out wrong, so stay with me here. I like the fact that this story has, boom, R-rated sex scenes just blam right in the middle of it. Because that also feels like the kind of thing that you get from this type of story. The kind of thing that you expect in this type of story and they don't shy away from it and they don't have to, cause it's not a, you know, a code approved comic satellite, Sam. Thank you, Rodrigo. It's not a code approved comic and it's not necessarily something that they have to work around. And I really, really like that. You know, so you, you do get to a point where I always read this and I keep thinking of Hollywood land, which is yeah. kind of my, my touchstone for this. It's, yeah, it's the and- point where that kind of story has Superman in it. Yeah, and, and L.A. Story is also, I would say, is also uh, in this same vein. So if you like the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, L.A. Confidential, not L.A. Story. That's something completely L.A. Different. Story is Steve Martin. That's yeah. It's definitely L.A. Story. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, they both have people that are not uh, pure of heart and are have ulterior motives going on left and right. But uh, if you, I think if you were like L.A. Confidential, I think you would get into this. Um, yeah. And, and I think the thing that's a little bit more of a positive as far as the nudity and sex goes from the first volume is... In the first volume, it was more focused on uh, female nudity. This one still has the female nudity, but there's also a lot of male nudity in here as well. So I, I feel like there's a, a little bit more of a balancing going on here when you get to see some man wiener uh, compared to just a bunch of breasts on, on screen. What was that movie that Jennifer Connelly was in that was a weird kind of L.A. noir thing? Was that Mulholland Falls? That was Mulholland Falls, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this story may owe a little bit to that as well, Well, and at least spiritually speaking. Yeah, and so one of the things that is still missing from this volume that I think you need to go and track down the original uh, issues, or I don't know if it's in the Omnibus uh, collection, I think it is, but in the back of each of the individual issues, Ed Brubaker would tell essentially um, um Hollywood Babylon uh, story. Um about actresses who had committed suicide because their career wasn't going well, um, actors who had to do certain things. And these were real stories that he's telling you. And so I have, you know, when we look at all these others, I think, yes, they're all drawing on ripped from the headlines type moments. And when you read these stories that, that Brubaker adds to uh, the fade out, it really adds a lot more. Oh, this is just not him making up stories to fit our imaginary narrative of what, you know, 1950s Hollywood was like, he's saying, no, this is what 1950s Hollywood was like. And I'm reflecting that into my book. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what was really going on. And I, I certainly think, as you said at the beginning, Ashley, n- with the Me Too movement uh, from a couple of years ago and still continuing, I hope today um, mm-hmm. that people are starting to say, oh, well, yes, the 1950s Hollywood never changed. It's still going on. And there are still people who are around today who were around then. In fact, some of them just dying recently. Um, who, um, who continue on to that tradition, uh, who continue on to those, 
those bad uh, habits and attitudes. And I think that when we read something like the fade out, it does kind of hopefully reemphasizes to people that this is a time period that you may think was long forgotten, but really hasn't. So what's, what's, is there anything in this that you don't like? Matthew, you said you're not a crime drama person. Ashley, you said you don't, you're not a big fan of let's peel back the skin of Hollywood, mm-hmm. but is there anything specifically in this story that um, is off putting to you or something that you don't like besides something that you've already addressed? I don't think so. Like this is a hard book to criticize just because technically it's so well executed. And even the stuff that is not to my taste is not done willy nilly. And it's not done with a, a well-reasoned thought process behind like, you know, nothing in here is frivolous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew, what I about think, you? Oh, go ahead. Right oh, I mean, I, I think really the only issue that I had with it is that it does feel like a middle chapter. Mm-hmm. To a large degree. There's a lot of information that we're probably going to need for the ending. Yes. uh, That gets dropped in here. But if you consider that the first one starts out with a murder. And like this one, like some people get beat up. You get to find out uh, some people that are tied to that. You get some names. But it really feels like a middle chapter. Not a lot actually happens in this. uh, um, In this volume and the stuff that does happen in this volume doesn't get resolved because it feels like it's being set up for the third volume. Well, and it is because like, as I said earlier, there are a lot of clues being dropped and I don't know if you guys felt like, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you guys feel like you've identified the major clues to where the story's going. I don't know if you have solved it by the end of this volume or if as the middle chapter is doing, let's present the the little clues so when we get to the the third chapter and we rip off the mask we understand that the the ghost was actually farmer brown <laughs> i mean i wouldn't men, i wouldn't i wouldn't confidently say that i know why who did it and why okay what about you matthew clark gable did it um well, but of course there's also you know to me figuring out and this may be why I'm not a big, you know, mystery type fan. Uh, figuring it out is not necessarily the fun part for me. The fun part is seeing all of the threads that build up to it and thinking what could have happened. I like that Rashomon feeling of, oh, yeah, this could be this and this could be this. And it turns out, no, it's not. She was actually hit over the head by Clark Gable with a wine bottle in the conservatory and Colonel Mustard looked on with a pipe. But, yeah, I feel like if there was any complaint that I have about this, it's kind of even having read that first volume, there are points where I feel like I'm a little bit at sea. Mm. You know, the uh, what has come before at the beginning reminds us of 15 main characters, and there are other characters in here who pop up and we're like, hey, it's Tina. Who's Tina? Um... Well, that's that's the nice thing about this. Probably bad if you're reading in the digital edition, because if you're reading in the physical edition, you can just flip to the front. And you can see all the characters and their names. Yep. Whereas in the digital, you have to flip back page, 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 page. Where here you so just you can just hit page up and go all the way to the top. Yeah. Um, Ashley, final thoughts on the fade out act two. Uh, like you say, I think this is a very well made comic. I think if people are interested in making comics, particularly uh, period piece comics and i know we usually think victorian or edwardian england but this is a period piece i think this is a great example of how to do that very well and how to toe the line that is difficult with life and likeness um but also um i'm not interested in being a detective so i put no effort into figuring out who actually did it <laughs> i'm sure there are hints i'm sure smarter readers that i have uh it but uh, I have no idea. Every time I see something that says, uh, I don't know who did it. I'm going to tell you. I'm like, just tell me. But I know they're not yeah. going to tell me till the end. Well, uh, <laughs> But if you're someone like me, it's not super, super obvious, right? Like this isn't CSI Miami. You're not no, going to figure no, no, it out no. 15 minutes in. Well, yep. I'll, I'll say this about the clues. Uh, the first time reading the book, I didn't catch anything until I got to the end. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So that was happening. OK, this makes a lot of sense. Um, and then when you go back and reread it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's that clue right there that they've planted. There's that one, that one, and that one. So that when you do get to the end, you're like, ah, this all makes sense now. So yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, I, 
I didn't talk about it enough in this, but we'll probably talk about it again. I like the fact that um, Brubaker and Phillips are dealing with some with someone and maybe multiple people in this book, but certainly Charlie has PTSD uh, oh, yeah. coming back from the war. And that is being that is super crippling to him in his ability to to work. And so I find this, you know, the life of a tragic writer or tragic writers in the case of Gill as well, uh, continually fascinating. And of course, I do like peeling back the layers and looking underneath or lifting up the rock and looking at the things crawling underneath in stories. And I am a big fan of of noir detective uh, mysteries. I do like that. I, I like playing around with that. I like uh, trying to read something and figuring out ahead of time to see if I'm right. Um, so for me, again, very few times have I ever asked my family to get me anything for Christmas. Uh, the year that this came out in the omnibus edition, that was the only thing I told my family I wanted. I said, please, somebody get me the fade out in the omnibus <laughs> collection because I love this book so much. And I, I think that if you are someone that is into this kind of stuff, get the single hardcover collection, the omnibus collection or the three trade paperbacks. Um, I just think that they're infinitely fascinating. Do be aware that there is graphic murder, uh, graphic violence, graphic sex, um, bad habits from smoking and drinking and drugs. It's uh, not there's for the children. No, it's definitely not for the children. And if you are someone that gets squeamish, um, especially about sexual situations, the third act is is very shocking. I'll, I'll just put it that way. But I'm still giving this a big thumbs up. Matthew, what about you? What's your final thoughts here? I would say that if you don't like noir and you don't like crime and you just want to find a book that is that but will work for you this is probably a good book for you this is a book that will fit that you know at least my version of that sort of uh, mythos because i am not necessarily interested in the build-up of the murder i'm not necessarily interested in Columboing it apart although Columbo, you always know who the murder is up front I always feel like, for me, the story is what happens in between. It's the journey, not actually the destination. And the journey is nice. Rodrigo is right. It does feel very middle chaptery, But even middle chaptery, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And, you know, don't read it at night because every time you see Al's face glaring at you, you're going <laughs> to think that there's a Kentucky goblin in your living room and it's bad. Rodrigo, you get the final say on the book this week. Um, I will say that this comic book adaptation of the hangover is very intense. <laughs> um, no, but uh, a big part of this is the art. This book, if you like um, sort of realistic human faces as, as art that you like to consume is worth it just because of that. Mm -hmm. um, this book has an incredibly tall order in that there are 45 characters and they're all 20 to 80-year-old white people. And they all have to look different. You have to be able to recognize them on site because you don't always get that. And it's, you know, when you read a bunch of comics, you might take that for granted because comic book characters often get wacky haircuts and helmets and beards and, you know, all kinds of stuff to tell them apart. But there is something about the faces in this book. They're very expressive. They're always on model. They're always... Um, you know, interesting, and there's always something going on. So just for that, it's probably worth picking up. Yeah. All right. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we want to hear your feedback, so feel free to use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We'll be back next week because we know that you love comics and we know you do, too. And we will talk with you then. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. 
If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I'm start raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment LLC.